Uh, we're back. This is week five, as Frank mentioned. We have one more of these. And so I want to get through about uh, ideally four uh, spiritual disciplines today. That's a bit faster than we've been going. I haven't realized how much um, I lagged more than I wanted to. Um, so buckle up, feel the conviction. So as a quick review, uh, we've been talking about spiritual formation in general. The last several weeks have been focused in on the spiritual disciplines. And um, we've been talking about these as ways of becoming more like Christ. These are things that Jesus did. These are things that humanity has done in uh, in order to become more like God. Uh, We started with prayer. Praying habitually makes you the kind of person who turns to God instead of yourself. One of the main points I made, communicating with him instead of playing God in your own life. Once we get to giving, this is going to come up really strong, but um, humankind in Adam, we love to play God. We love to pretend to be God. We want to be God. It's the Garden of Eden all over again. I want to be like God. And praying reminds us, We're not in charge, and it changes us in that way. Fasting habitually makes you the kind of person who recognizes their own brokenness and God's greatness. Talked about that second. And then we talked about submission and self-denial together. Submitting habitually, submitting to God, submitting to those in, in, in authority in your life. Submitting habitually makes you the kind of person who follows the lead of the Spirit rather than the ways of the world. And finally, self-denying habitually makes you the kind of person who sees others as greater and myself as less, others as more virtuous and myself as the worst of sinners. God is good and myself as dependent on that good. Self-denial really cuts to the core of what I think bothers at least my students the most. We don't like admitting this. We don't like repeating what Paul said. We don't like to imagine that we're needy and dependent and broken and whatnot. And self-denial is is a way, is the spiritual discipline of getting there. All right, so that moves us on to the fourth, and that's service. Serving. Obviously, serving is something that all Christians do, all people do when you really think about it. We're talking about this as a discipline, and so intentional, habitual, uh, creating a pattern where this becomes um, fundamental to your daily life. The basic idea here is serving God, serving God by overflowing with his love and compassion to others, especially those in need. So this is about, like all these spiritual disciplines are fundamentally directionally towards God. Yes, uh, we should submit to one another, but we're ultimately doing that so we learn how to submit to God. If you can't submit to someone in your life, you probably can't submit to God. And that's why God has made others. So services like that serve others as practice for serving God. Think of it that way. Make it a discipline. The necessity of this is all over the Bible. I just picked a couple of places. As each has received a gift, employ it in serving one another. 
as each of has received, received a gift, we've all received gifts. Employ it in serving one another. He's speaking about the church as a whole. We all are gifted in various ways. The Spirit gifts all people. And we've talked about, you know, the Spirit doing that generally among humanity, especially for those in Christ. And we call those the spiritual gifts. That was the first week, I believe. So employ it in serving one another. This is one of the fundamentals of Jesus' ministry, service, all over the place. You call me teacher and Lord, Jesus says, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He's talking about serving as disciples, the ultimate humiliation in that culture, touching, washing somebody's feet. It is kind of embarrassing, and it's also a sensitive place, right? It tickles. Um, and it reminds us of really what we are. If Jesus does that to us, how much more? And that's the example he's doing. He's showing the first will be last. The last will be first. Service is a way of getting there. It's one way among other ways of getting there. It rewires you. It rewires you so you remember what you are. You do something enough and it becomes you. You become that person, right? Um, I like this from Bernard of Clairvaux about a thousand years ago. What an awesome name. Learn the lesson that if you are to do the work of a prophet, what you need is not a scepter, but a hoe. A scepter, but a hoe. Right? That's a good lesson. Serve, not no leading. Lead through serving. There we go. So how is this a spiritual discipline? This involves doing things that you wouldn't normally do in service to God, to others, rather than serving yourself. And ultimately, remember, this is about serving God. This is not about serving others so much, although that's important and that's what we're called to do. It's a reminder of who we really are in Christ, right? So... How would you incorporate this in your life? There's a lot of ways to go, and everyone's a little different. And there's a, I be some, I'm going to give you some examples in a second. But just remember, why would we do this? First, it runs against who we are in Adam, and it runs with what we are in Christ. Right? So the exact opposite of what you're seeing Adam doing, of what you see the rest of the scriptural storyline doing before Jesus, is always pointing the finger. Right? So what have you done, Adam? You just ate the fruit. It's not my fault. It's, it's the woman's fault. Who you made for me, your fault, God. And the woman's, it's the snake's fault. The talking snake confused me. Right? We, it runs against our grain, and it runs with the grain in Christ. It's a way of getting past the normal selfishness. This is just another way to say the same thing. And it prepares us for reigning with Jesus. If you want to reign, uh, reign, as Milton says, I've used this quote a couple times now because I just find it a fascinating summary 
of Scripture. Um, that is our fallenness um, that Scripture shows that we think it's better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. You want to get ready for heaven, serve now, right? I'm going to move on. So how would you incorporate this? Now, it's easy, and we should just start easy here. Just be kind, be generous, be merciful, or be courteous. This is all basic. We should all be doing this, but make it a habit. Be intentional. Think about it. I'm going to do this for the next four weeks, and I'm just going to wake up, set my mind to it, and I'm going to do it. That's certainly one way to, distri- uh, to, to demonstrate this gift, but be habitual about it. Um, make it a habit, that is. Don't just do a nice thing and feel good about yourself. That's actually the exact opposite of what we're going for here, right? Do something, realize how hard that was, and go, Jesus, how did you do this? All the t- How are you doing this now? Bring God into conversation, what's going on here, and repent when you give credit to yourself. Don't feel smug. And it might, service might mean choosing to perform something that by its very nature uh, is humiliating. That's really hard to do. No, that's some, something that this sort of person should do. You know, I run my company. I'm in charge. X, Y, I, no, that's not for me. No, do that. Be intentional and do it. Here's six examples that I sort of um, wove together along with some examples from Richard Foster. And this list can keep going on. What are certain acts of service? We mentioned one. It's sad that we have to say this, but just being intentional about courtesy goes a long way. But here's one. Guard the reputation of others by refuting slanderous talk. This is a really good one. Is one that stick, stuck with me, or I think this may be one that I added to the list. This is something you hear gossip, you hear somebody being slandered, defend them, right? I mean, if, if it's slanderous. Extend hospitality. This is something we're called to do. It's hard. It's a reminder of what heaven really is. You know, there's this, as the song goes, big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, a big, big table. And we're going to play football in that yard. And the irrigation will never break. I sometimes like to do that to my students, but anyway. All right, so now seriously, it's a reminder that we are allowed into a family where we're not in the family. We're adopted, sons and daughters. Serve, extend hospitality. Listen intentionally, even when you can't, even when you're distracted, do it anyway, die to yourself. Bear burdens. This is just what the church does. Make this a habit. Take four weeks to do it. Speaking truth in love, that's hard. It sounds easy. Sharing the gospel. Now, even that service, just start rewiring yourself to to think through What is it that God is calling me to do in order to understand him better, in order to be led by the Spirit more? The list can go on. So how does service change us? It's like everything else I've mentioned as we're moving forward. I always bring everything back to a couple things here. 
Um, the first idea is that all knowledge of God and knowledge of self are intertwined. If you want to know God well, you've got to know yourself well. If you want to know yourself well, you've got to know God well. And you know this, the more you learn about yourself, the more you learn about God and vice versa. And that's, this is where the rubber hits the road. I mean, you know, a theologian begins his whole summary of the Christian faith that way, but that's exactly right. That's exactly what we're doing here. We're trying to experience who we really are. We're trying to understand and actually feel our brokenness rather than hide it. Understand the depths of our need rather than act like it's all good. How are you doing? Awesome. But we're being fake on the outside. So I like to start there, but also the phrase become what you are, which is very Pauline, become what you are. Um, in Christ, we are servants. The new heavens, new earth, we're servants. Act like it. We have the spirit in us, bonding us to Christ. We have the power within us. So think about how much serving changes you. It rewires you. You start doing this habitually. You've maybe done this before. You just do it habitually, and you start having a better view of yourself, a more realistic view of yourself, a smaller view of yourself, a bigger view of other people. And the same with God, and that's the point. A servant of all, that's what we are. Act like it. Right? This isn't, I'm saved by works. This is, I'm saved by grace, and now... I want to actually become that person that he says I am. Well, we do this through the spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of examples of people historically that do this well. I didn't really know how to narrow it down to less than four or five or so. Um, the early church was maybe best known for um, taking babies out of the, the well, what do, you, what do you call that? The garbage pit, basically. It was okay in the Roman world if you didn't want your baby, you could just uh, throw it away and it would die from the elements. Uh, you put it on the trash heap and it would be burned. Christians were best known. No, no one really knew what Christians thought, what they believed. I mean, something about this dead guy who's now alive, but otherwise, they didn't really get it. But they knew that the Christians would take babies and they would basically create orphanages. That's where this comes from. It's from Christians... Uh, it's especially early church widows, these widows who would take children as an act of service, dying to themselves in order to serve these babies. Right? It's just a great example. What does it look like today? Well, you can see a lot of parallels. Another example, it's kind of generic as well, because there's not one name I'm going to think of here, and a lot of the names are forgotten. Um, but monks were known to, I know we have a recluse idea of monks in our culture, but that's not the way they were, and not the way they are if you've been around. Maybe some are like that. But they were known for being servants. If you needed your, um, your, your, your stone wall fixed, you call the local monastery. There's an expert there working, and they'll come for free as an act of service, right? You want some extra wine? We got it. Come and see us. You know, that sort of thing. This is, this is intentional. They're trying to do everything we're talking about. Same thing with the widows. They know what they're doing. And they're not just like, I'm going to follow the Bible's commands. If you have that perspective, life is grim. At least I think so. It's not about following a list. It's about becoming who you are in Christ. Uh, there's a couple examples I have here. 
Gregory of Nyssa, the great bishop, well, of Nyssa, there you go, known as one of the great philosophical theologians in history. Um, his older brother was like, hey, Gregory, you like to write, but you should, be, you should serve the church. Be, become a bishop. Gregory's like, no, I like, I like just locking myself in the closet, writing. I love my wife. I love what I do. I don't want to do anything else. So he became a bishop. By the way, back then, you could be a bishop and be married. He was a married bishop, happily married. He talks about his wife all the time. But he serves, even though he didn't want to. This comes up a lot. Um, Augustine was very similar. It's a very similar story. Um, You're like, man, they didn't want to do what they're best known for now. Be that kind of person. Finally, Jonathan Edwards, who um, accounts vary a little bit, but he was best known for even, even, he wrote so much, and he was a pastor, and he was a missionary to Native Americans, and he somehow, what was it? Was it two hours per kid every other week? He would spend, and he had like, a, was it nine or 11 kids? I'm not an Edwards historian. You hearing what I'm saying? That's ridiculous. A lot of one-on-one time with his wife. That's not necessarily normal with theologians. You know, we're not the best of people. That's amazing. He's doing this as an act of service. He's doing it intentionally, right? And I guess right after I said Gregory likes spending time with his wife. So again, there's, yeah, there's some variation there. Now, I want to move on. So that's service. Um, we've covered that. And this is going to be closely related to the next two that come. Serving is giving your time, and now we're going to be talking about giving, which the spiritual discipline of giving is focused especially on monetary things, on wealth. Of course, you can give other things, but that's usually intersecting with other disciplines. Um, This is all over scripture. We know as Christians we should be givers. (laughs) Be a cheerful giver. (laughs) Right, we know this, but we're talking about making this habitual, so you overflow, and you just are the type of person that drops things and gives, and that's just you. That's what we're talking about. The necessity, it's pretty well plastered over Scripture. Give to the one who asks you, thanks, Jesus, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I mean, that should be convicting, Right? Um, this one's more convicting because he's teaching through a parable, so he usually uses that time to be even more direct because it's, you know, a story, and so it's super soft and nice, but he really goes after you in these things. Oh, man. So this is towards the end. Here's Jesus talking. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Right? I mean, this is cutting to the grain of what it means to be in Christ. It's not, you know, you don't have to make this a larger statement, but I can say this is what it means to be a Christian. This is something that should characterize your life. Make it a habit. Give to the point that it becomes a habit. 
And that's where the change happens. So how is this a spiritual discipline? I'll probably cover this a little bit more quickly. But this is the intentional act of obedience that prioritizes God over yourself and the rest of the world. I like my stuff. And when I'm really, in, if, when I think about it, I think I like my stuff more than God most of the time. Right? Can you be honest with yourself and admit that? That's it. That's what this is trying to undo. How do you incorporate this? There's all kinds of ways. But be intentional and strategic. Evaluate it regularly. Think about it. It is really easy to give habitually, but it's because, I mean, a bank, or sorry, a program, a website takes it out for you. And sometimes you have to just open it up and rethink it and go, is this hurting? Um, and this is the inevitable progression. So this is just me. I always get this from my students. I mean, I want to give, but every time I do, I just, you know, doing it out of guilt, so I stop giving. <laughs> no, no, you're just in the first stage. Now you, now you got to grow up. <laughs> just grow up. Yeah, that is the first stage. I mean, to some extent, the uh, first thing I do anything, it's just out of guilt. Oh, I guess I have to. Oh, this is the time of the service where I have to talk to people. Hey, my name is Ryan. <laughs> I don't want to do that to you. Some of us do. We're all wired differently. But the worst thing would be, the worst thing, oh, now everyone that sits next to me is like, oh, I'm just going to avoid, no, no, don't avoid me. Don't avoid me. That's terrible. I love you guys. Yeah. Um, but it's true. When you start thinking about everything you do, it's like, the love the first time I did it, it just hurt. I didn't like it at all. But now it's just me. Ah, there you got it. So yeah, you're going to be giving out of guilt or impulse, but then you're just going to move on to just giving freely, and then you're going to realize the whole point of this. It wasn't really giving all along. I kind of look a little more like Jesus. I have a lot longer way to go, but I look a little more like Jesus. It changes you. It rewires you. This is why they're doing it. It sounds so self-serving saying it this way, so I realize you don't usually hear it this way, but that's the point. This is how... Uh, you're changed. And it's the great irony of the gospel as well. Deny yourself so you can get everything. You know what I mean? Like seriously, you know. I mean, you've heard this before, but God's glory and our ple pleasure in him are closely correlate. They're one and the same. That goes back to Augustine. It goes back to Ignatius. And you know that as well. That's a common statement made today that Piper really did a great job of popularizing. God's glory and our pleasure are one and the same. That's the beauty of this. The place of tithing, absolutely do it. Do it habitually. Do it till it hurts. But there's more than this. Don't just end there. And, of course, you can give other things other than money. But we're focusing in on wealth because it has a, it has a really strong hold of us. It just does, especially in our culture. Um, but even these, um, you know, theologians back in the day before capitalism and consumerism were in its present form, this is something that was often discussed, that wealth has a very stronghold of her heart. Um, and yeah, Jesus says a lot of difficult stuff. He does like to speak an overstatement, but he will sometimes say to people, you're not going to give up everything for me? You don't get it. Right? you got to hear that. He's talking to all of us. 
doesn't mean you have to give up everything, but it means if you, can, if you can't imagine doing that, you're not loving God the way he is talking about. It's heavy, I know. I don't know how else to say it. So how does this change you? Much the same way. You give and you realize your neediness. You give more and then you feel it anymore, even more. Uh, you give and you realize you're not the point. You give, you realize others are more important than me. I'm last. I'm the least. It changes you. It rewires you. And you know this because when times are tough, maybe because you just lost a job and you don't have income, maybe when things are really tight, it's really easy to cling to Jesus in those moments and you find yourself growing in those moments. So when you're forced into this thing, you, you felt this before. Congratulations, you're doing the spiritual disciplines. It's just not really an option. And you know that's what changes you. So there you go. Again, I know God better as I do this more. That's the principle of everything. I only know God's greatness when I know my smallness. Put it, you know, silly, but true. And this informs you, this forms you into the kind of person that you should be. It helps you become who you really are in Christ. This is true of every one of these disciplines. They're all really doing the same thing. And that's the beauty of this. I'm just trying to I'm focus in on one aspect of every discipline in order to make a greater point as I move on. We're really just talking about doing the same thing. An example of giving, the first one that comes to mind, um, I just, uh, I, I love Francis. He's a really interesting person. And he starts a mendicant, or uh, nobody knows that. He starts a begging order in the 1200s. Is that right? No, 1100s. Um, and he's best known, you probably know Francis because he has this, there's stories of him talking with the aminals, Right? He's best known for that, that he was this, uh, he was somebody who listened to God, who liked solitude, and I'm just sort of imagining that. If you've ever done this before, you'll figure out you have freakish encounters with animals and you just understand them better, you know what I mean? Have you ever known an animal whisperer that they just seem to understand? See, that was Francis. He's the dog whisperer. Uh, he's well known for this, but he starts an order where he's like, you know, this isn't required, but I'm going to do this thing where I'm just going to give up all my wealth. By the way, notice he's of a really rich place. He comes from a lot of wealth. His father disowned him after he did this because his inheritance went, well, not with the family. And he started an order where you'd have to just give up your wealth in order to join, and it's a begging order. It's an order where you go out on the street and you ask for money, you look homeless, you look dirty, you look broken, you look exactly as you should in Christ. You see how this works? And you ask for money, and you beg for money, and you, you eat with the money that you get and no more, right? And this is just a way to remind you who you really are. And that's, that's, this is radical. I'm not saying we all need to do this. You should try it once, though. It will change you. It really will. And people will not respect you. And you'll see yourself in them all and go, oh, I'm so much worse than you. I do that all the time to people. And all along, I thought you were just lazy. Oh, maybe you were a monk. Maybe you were Jesus. 
It's a great reminder. And I know this is radical. I'm not saying y'all have to give up your stuff right now. Leave and sell your car. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying do this just once. Just once. Francis of Assisi. You got to love him. By the way, in celebration of St. Francis of Assisi, some very clever individual created a a very excellent restaurant called St. Francis on Camelback, where you can get one of the top 10 best burgers, in my opinion, the French onion burger. I just find it ironic, though, because they're naming themselves after the guy who talks with animals, and they serve it right to you (laughs) on a plate. I love it. Somebody has a really good sense of humor, or they're clueless. I want to say the four. I think it's just a funny person. I want to meet the owner. If you know him, send him my way. That's pretty awesome. And this brings us to simplicity. Now, I'm going to change things up a bit because I was going to, uh, in perfect timing, there is a, uh, a, one of my favorite, I don't even know what he is, historian, theologian, something like what I am, but he's like seasoned and wise and he's been around doing this forever. Um, he has a talk on simplicity that was so close to what I was going to give, but he says it better, and it's a bit long, um, and I'll, I just won't probably go through the whole thing. It's like 15 minutes. Simplicity is where it's at, and this has been maybe the one that's most misunderstood. Simplicity means you give up everything. That's not traditionally what people have meant by it, and he does a really good job here of uh, explaining this in a powerful, convicting way. And you should buy, he has really a lot of good books that I was going to recommend, and then I realized maybe it's too academic, so I didn't know. But this is a great talk. Listen in. Have fun. Side note, I don't know what the video person was doing, but like there is a lot of like panning between the audience and him, and it kind of find it distracting, like you know, showing the students listening to him. But anyway, awesome talk. You're gonna love this. Yeah. 
Thank you. 
person is a spiritual chameleon whose color changes depending on the group he's with. Duplicity is the antonym for simplicity. The simple person is not someone who has a low intelligence quotient. The simple person is someone who's decided what she is about and has chosen There you have it. Really helpful reminder for us all of what simplicity is all about. It's the kind of life that's lived by somebody who knows who they are, about what they're really about. And while we have other things, while we have some wealth and we have some success and we have technology, these things don't define us. Um, so simplicity is getting at the heart, according to uh, many theologians, not just me, this is at the heart of the difference between an authentic disciple and an, an, a non-authentic disciple. Are we okay with God? Are we okay if I lost my career? This is hard, my family. You see how this goes? It's really dark and grim, and you just sort of have to think it through of, wow, God. I, these are all great things. You should think they're great things. But often our dependence is more on things, stuff, rather than God. And simplicity is a way of getting to that. So um, we shall move on to... The seventh, which is solitude and silence. All right, it took me a second to realize where we were. Um, so the sixth was simplicity. I let him do the work just to switch it up. And now, here we are on solitude and silence. These can be distinguished. Well, they are distinguished. I'm distinguishing them. You could even talk about them as their own spiritual discipline. But I'm going to put them together because in our world... <laughs> Uh, they, they, they go together. Um, so what, what is this all about? What is solitude? What is silence? I think it's probably obvious, but some things might go unnoticed. Solitude is refraining from interacting with other people in order to be alone with God and be found in him. When you're alone, you really realize how many idols you have. God speaks to you really clearly in those sorts of moments, and silence, not speaking in order to quiet our minds and whole self and attend to God's presence. That is to really hear God. I think w when I was younger, I remember like hearing about people that just took vows of silence, and it really confused me. But really what's going on is we focus on the negative, right? You fast from food. Well, why don't you just eat? <laughs> I don't want, I'm not going to talk. Silence. Why don't you just talk? It's not about the negative. It's about the positive. Hearing God in this case. 
Um, in our world, it's very distracting. You know what I'm talking about. It's really easy to drown out pain, sorrow, loneliness, you with whatever, with noise, as with many other things. And this is getting at the heart of really actually feeling who we are, letting ourselves experience it. This is absolutely this is one of those things that is uh, necessary. You see scripture over and over again mention people doing this. And it's hard to find too many commands, but this is something Jesus does all the time. Moses, David, Jesus, just a, a few examples, demonstrated this as a means of soul care. Where they went out in the middle of nowhere and sought and heard God. We don't really know much about these encounters because, you know, no one's there. Jesus is like, get away. <laughs> right? I suspect there are some moments where Jesus is alone where I guess John is like, you know, listening in. You know, the, the, the priestly prayer, the high priestly prayer. You know, Jesus was alone but not. But for the most part, we don't know about what he's doing. Uh, here's, here's Jesus. This is uh, close to the feeding of uh, one of the feeding of the 5,000 stories. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, my disciples, his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We see this over uh, occur a few times throughout the Gospels where they're just trying to get away for whatever reason they'll talk about. I always thought this was weird, and then I realized this is so true. Here's Teresa of Avila, the great theologian. She's often called a mystic. If you think evangelicals are mystic, then it's also fair to her call her a mystic. And what that, what that word means is she actually thinks you can hear God in silence. <gasps> right? How dare you? Settle yourself in solitude, and you will come upon him in yourself. It's a clever way to say what happens. Have you ever gone out in the middle of nowhere just intentionally and just sort of sat, put away your phone, just sit, and just let the thoughts come, and you start realizing, holy cow, what's that sound? Oh, that's really cool. God's good. Oh, that's kind of neat. And you start seeing things you never saw that you can't unsee after this experience, the sound certain things make when they walk, like little creatures, or like the sound of your soul, which it, if you're in a hard place is very loud, right? You know what she's talking about. Oh, I love this from Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer's clever. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. How true. At least I feel that. Oops, feeling. And he continues, one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Same person. All right, that's a really good word, but we're focusing on solitude at the moment. This is a way to get away from yourself. Um, often I think when we pray, we feel like we have to feel the, fill, fill the void of silence. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk really good. Maybe if I talk good, God will listen. We often like to fill the void with our own words. We think it's dependent on that. We often just don't listen. 
Look at spiritual discipline books these days. Many of them don't even talk about solitude and silence as disciplines anymore. Oh, that's too new age or something. Nope, that's, this is very old age. <laughs> this is something Jesus did. This is something uh, all the great theologians talk about. This is something Edwards loved, generally on horseback. So this is something that cuts to the core of, well, something we should do in our very loud world we have. How is this a spiritual discipline? This is the act of expectant listening to hear God's voice and discern the nudging of the Spirit. I can pretty confidently say, if you don't do this once in a while, you're following your own urges. You're if, if we're living in the noise of the world, the, the noise of the world that tells us, by the way, whenever you feel lonely, just text a friend, pick up, oh, Facebook. There's so many ways to numb ourselves. These aren't bad. I'm on Facebook. But there's so many ways to numb ourselves. And then when you do this over time, you start realizing, I'm just doing whatever I want. I'm just doing whatever I like. And go out in the middle of nowhere in silence and hear yourself, hear the idols of your heart, hear him speak loudly. God is always speaking through his spirit to us personally. I'm not saying you can go to your friend and then say authoritatively, well, God told me, therefore you should too. But if you feel conviction that you're, you have sin in your life that you need to get rid of, that's not Satan talking. That's not you. That's God being like, repent. And it's easy to ignore that voice when we're surrounded by noise. It's by solitude, it's in solitude that we make it a priority. You have to make it a priority to listen to him. You hear him everywhere. The ants speak loudly even. There's a reality of spiritual deafness in our world, but we need to hear our master's voice. Read the Bible, absolutely. You will hear the master's voice in an authoritative way. Go out in nature, you will hear God's voice. He created the world and it reflects him. It's that simple. Uh, in our tradition, they, theologians like to speak of the two um, books of Revelation, the book of Scripture and the book of nature. Um, that's right. That's exactly right. It's all there in the Bible. Yes, the book of Scripture makes our salvation more clear. Jesus is clearly represented, but Jesus is as clearly represented while salvation might not be, Jesus himself with the spectacles of Scripture, as we look upon the world, we're seeing God. We're seeing the artist. So, um, oh, I, I recently read an article. Sometimes you can read really good stuff on the Internet. Sometimes not. <laughs> but there's this really good article where I can't remember his name now. I don't know this person. Carl McUllman. I, I didn't. I botched that. Sorry. Carl, if you're listening. Um, but he compared it this way. He said, silence is kind of like inhaling for speaking and acting prophetically. Silence is getting at that one other dimension. Silence is inhaling for speaking. We live in a world that's outraged over everything. That's wrong. That's wrong. You're evil. We love to call out sin. Our culture loves to do this. They won't say sin, but they love to call out what they consider injustice. 
We scream really loudly, but we miss it when we don't know how to be silent. When we don't know how to be silent, we don't know what to speak. We miss when speaking really is necessary, when it really matters. This is just wisdom. So how would I incorporate this? How would you incorporate this? There's a lot of ways to do it. I know it's really hard, but there's easy ways to do it. First thing to note, these two things are inseparable, so I'm just going to assume that moving on. But let's just be simple, y'all. You don't need to go out in the middle of nowhere to do this. It's best to do that. Do that once a year, definitely, no doubt. But on a daily basis, that's not realistic. It's a lot of gas, a lot of driving. Um, but this is getting alone with God anywhere, anytime. So, uh, you know, it's hard to do this, but here's my advice. And this is actually a saying that goes back a really long time. I'm not really sure. I don't think anybody really knows who said it first. There's several, uh, I've heard different suggestions. But this is my advice to you regarding solitude and silence. Sit for 30 minutes a day. I think that's really a good, that's a, that's a good place. That's, that's, that's it right there. I'm not, I'm not saying read the Bible for, I'm not saying read the Bible for 30 minutes. I'm saying just sit and listen. If you're too busy for that, sit for 20 minutes. If you're too busy for that, you need to sit for an hour. Right? Let God speak to you. You've been meditating on a verse all week. Sit down and hear conviction. Be convicted. Feel your neediness. Feel your dependency. And talk to God throughout it. But don't talk over him. We love to talk over God. My voice is more important than yours, God, so listen to me. Don't do that. Recommendations. Uh, these are from a lot of different sources here. Um, You've got to find a quiet place. We'll be able to make it through this slide, and then I'll pause. You've got to find a quiet place away from distraction. This is hard. Yes, set its time aside. It might be a closet. Uh, it might be a locked office, like your own office. It might be your backyard. It might be on your roof. I don't know. But get away from distraction, because that's the key here. And just make it happen. Uh, make, think of times. Set a time and do it. And again, this is a discipline, so do it consistently for four weeks. Every other day. And by the end of the four weeks, you know, think, how did it go? Maybe you need the discipline of study by the end. Maybe you need to read God's word for 30 minutes during that time. Uh, readjust, but make this a discipline. And this is what I find, and this is, you know, the teacher saying it. So if it's hard for me, I assume everyone's going to do this. It's really easy to just want to be, I'm going to turn on music. Ah, there you go. You're numbing. You're numbing. Well, I'm going to read the Bible. I don't like nothingness. Ooh, that's it. That's it. You don't like, that's it. Feel it. You, you, you got to. Don't numb it. Don't make it go away. That's the whole point. Try different places if something doesn't work. Um, and put away your cell phone. Don't just turn it off. Just like don't have it. Don't, it can't even be close. You know what I mean. Or maybe not. But, um, but uh, just make it happen. Do it. Four weeks. Evaluate. How do you understand God better? 
after this time. There's so many ways, but when we experience difficult life where God really does seem silent and we experience the silence, you know how much that changes you where it seems like God's not really there. You're talking a lot, but you're not listening. You numb yourself, right? But when things get hard and you experience that silence, it changes you. And then you start seeing God everywhere. I thought you were silent because I didn't listen. I really got to end with a really fun, this is a little, this is the next slide or two, but I got to end it this way. From Thomas Merton, he's an interesting read to say the least. Can I remember the page number? Yes, I can. Here's Thomas Merton. He's an interesting person. He has a lot of great reflections, and here's one of them. He's focusing on solitude here. By the way, because we're not going to have time, once a month, once a year, go outside of Phoenix to the wilderness and just sit there for an hour. It will change you. I guarantee you. Just do that. I meant to say that. And that's sort of the context, I think, of what he's writing here, if I'm not mistaken. Those who love their own noise are impatient of everything else. They constantly defile the silence of the forests and the mountains and the sea. They bore through silent nature in every direction with their machines for fear that the calm world might accuse them of their own emptiness. The urgency of their swift movement seems to ignore the tranquility of nature by pretending to have a purpose. The loud plane, plane seems for a moment to deny the reality of the clouds of the sky by its direction, its noise, and its pretended strength. The silence of the sky remains when the plane is gone. The tranquility of the clouds will remain when the plane has fallen apart. It is the silence of the world that is real. Our noise, our busyness, our purposes, and all our fatuous, fatuous, fatuous statements about our purposes, our busyness, and our noise. These are the illusion. God is present, he continues, and his thought is alive and awake in the fullness and depth and breath of all the silences of the world. The Lord is watching in the almond trees over the fulfillment of his words, etc., etc. I'll just cut it off now for sake of time. That's a nice reference. Do you guys remember Jesus, like, was it Nathan telling, I saw you under the tree, <laughs> the fig tree? God's watching, and you will... You see him. Look upon the world and you're seeing the glory of God. 